It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode includes discussion of gun violence. Also, is a quick note, we'll take you through our sourcing at the end of the episode. Sitting at the counter of the car barn, the three strangers sipped coffee and munched on donuts much like any other patrons. There was an odd quirk to their table manners, though. They ate using only their left hands. Their right hands stayed out of sight. Later on, it had become clear that they'd been keeping those poised over their holstered guns. Almost everyone else at the car barn on that summer morning worked on Sioux City's network of streetcars, as linemen or conductors or motormen. That's what the restaurant, situated at 1605 West 3rd Street, was known for. 
an unassuming spot where folks in the streetcar industry could hang out and grab a jolt of coffee or pop at all hours, a sort of beacon in the darkness before or after a long shift. But in the early morning of July 22nd, 1919, three men working in an entirely different business decided to make the car barn their breakfast stop. And that decision would have deadly consequences. The stranger sitting nearest the door was B.C. Tex Maynard. The one furthest away was Jim Davis. They answered to the man sitting between them, Donald Red Burzett. A feared name among the region's bootleggers, Red Burzett was a rogue among rum runners, often hijacking other gangsters' shipments. And the 33-year-old and his crew weren't above using violence to get their hands on the liquor made so valuable by Iowa's 1916 law bolstering statewide prohibition rules. Police believed that they'd murdered several people already. Burzett and his gang were wanted for murder, robbery, and hijacking. And little did they know, but the police knew exactly where they were. With veteran detective James Garfield Britton leading the charge, rifle in hand, a squad of Sioux City police were seconds from bursting into the car barn. The raid would devolve into what amounted to a 10-second bloodbath. But who would be left standing when the gun smoke cleared? My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, The Murder Sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout Season 1 to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We don't just rely on skimming the headlines. We dive into these cases to bring you in-depth coverage. We're The Murder Sheet, and this is Shootout at the Car Barn. Now, if you're like me and largely ignorant of Iowa history, when you hear the phrase Sioux City Shootout, glimpses of the frontier likely come to mind for you. Grizzled figures in cowboy hats and spurs, Sergio Leone close-ups on their weathered faces circling one another at high noon. But Sioux City's frontier days were six decades in the past by the time the events at the car barn unfurled. Here's Haley Aguirre the archival records clerk at the Sioux City Public Museum, on what the city was like back then. Yeah, Sioux City was definitely a, a 
working town, a, a major town, and definitely an economic force to be reckoned with. By 1910, Sioux City was Iowa's second biggest city, with an enormous meat processing industry. This place had it all in terms of the meat business. Poultry dressing plants, hog serum manufacturing, major packing houses, and a huge livestock market. Other major businesses included bricks, dairy, grain milling, and even popcorn. F.W. Woolworth opened his namesake chain there in 1912. The local Davidson Brothers was the largest department store in the state of Iowa at the time. Sioux City was also a hotspot for automobile dealers, suppliers, and mechanics, in a state that was becoming increasingly swept up in the car craze. In other words, it was a real hub, an important city in the region. The post-war boom had been good to Sioux City. Between 1910 and 1920, the population spiked by 20,000 people to around 71,227, largely thanks to immigration from Eastern Europe and the Middle East. By 1919, a pro-labor, anti-prohibition mayor named Wallace M. Short was running the place. The 18th Amendment enforcing a national prohibition on alcohol was still a year away, but Iowa had been enforcing statewide prohibition measures since 1916. Those two elements, a swelling population and prohibition measures, were testing the city's small police department. And by 1919, that department was having some trouble dealing with the crime that went along with those factors. Around here, Iowa had technically declared uh, prohibition long back in the 1880s, but we kind of had an official, official, we're really not kidding this time, prohibition in Iowa in 1916. And there's a lot of money to be made in running beer, alcohol, and illegally made alcohol uh, across state lines or between towns and that sort of thing. Sioux City's underworld from that time has since enjoyed a bit of an outsized notoriety. Now, there are rumors abounding that uh, Sioux City was a lot more crime-heavy than it was. Like, you know, like Al Capone was supposed to have, like, secret underground tunnels here. And we found no historical evidence of that kind of crime. Um, but, you know, juicy rumors like that, people like to latch onto them. And so things have gotten inflated over time. Was there crime in Sioux City? Yes, but not near to the degree of, like, New York or Chicago or major metropolitan centers like that. Still, by November 1919 the Sioux City Journal was decrying the wave of violence, notably the 14 murders that occurred that year. It also attributed four of those murders to one specific group, Donald Red Burzett's gang. The gang seemed to capture public interest at the time. Red Burzett was described as a handsome former fireman. The Des Moines Register did a whole feature story in December 1919 blaming the bootlegging brouhaha on Burzett's wife May dubbing her the beautiful brunette Bandit Queen. Brzezette and his gangsters were reportedly particularly vicious in the Iowa underworld. The Brzezette gang was linked to the killing of soft drink restaurant owner Charles Toothacre, Lars Peterson, grocery store owner D.H. Peterson, and bootlegger Claude Lettner. On the surface, some of these cases seem pretty across the board, and we almost wonder if the gang's reputation outstripped its criminal activity. But then again, a large gang might exhibit different tendencies depending on who's involved in a particular job. Burzette's history of crime dated back to his early years. 
He was convicted of stealing furs from a train in Mason City, Iowa, at the age of 17. Later, he upgraded to stealing cars. Brissette allegedly declared early on in his life that he'd never be taken alive, and he was often heavily armed, according to the Sioux City Journal. Many law enforcement officers noted that he strode around Sioux City, as many were too cowed to attempt to arrest him and risk a gun battle. It was starting to seem like the Sioux City Police Department was no match for the chaos stirred up by groups like Burzett's. So, uh, police force uh, didn't grow this at the same rate as the population, and they definitely had their hands full um, trying to catch these guys running either uh, the illegal liquor runners or the people who were making this liquor for sale. By 1919, Detective Britton was 39 years old and a 12-year veteran of the Sioux City Police Department. In 1912, just five years after he joined the force, Britton had been made chief of police. The position hadn't been permanent, however. In 1915, a city councilman reorganized the whole police department, effectively demoting Britton. Councilman Deneen said that the move wasn't about Britton's performance, noting that the departing chief had always known his role was temporary. But he did express dismay at the rise of burglary, robbery, and sandbagging in the city. Perhaps capturing Red Brzezette, by most accounts the baddest bootlegger around, was a way to redeem himself in the eyes of the brass. Brzezette was known as a deadly shot, but Britain was a military veteran and one of the best riflemen on the force. There also seemed to have been plenty of pressure all around. One thing that didn't help was the fact that state police had a habit of kidnapping prisoners from the Sioux City force. In fact, that was part of the impetus behind the car barn raid. Let's jump back to that July morning, before the tragic events at the car barn. Around midnight, Britain captured a Burzette gang member named Siglin. State police had apparently swooped in and taken him off for questioning. Frustrated, Sioux City Police Chief Gustav Danielson told Britain that the force would go out the next day and stay out until they'd apprehended more Brzezette gang members. Let's take a quick break from the murder sheet to tell you about a podcast investigating yet another unforgettable crime. The Orange Tree is a seven-part series about a 2005 homicide that happened near the University of Texas at Austin. The murder of 21-year-old Jennifer Cave, who was shot, dismembered, and left in a bathtub at her friend Colton Petoniak's apartment, continues to haunt the area to this day. Like the Burger Chef murders, this case features plenty of twists and turns, including Colton's flight to Mexico with another UT student, Laura Hall. Both were later convicted in connection with the crime, although Colton has continued to appeal his verdict and claim innocence. The business student turned convicted murderer now says that he doesn't even remember much about the night Jennifer died. The Orange Tree is reported on and produced by Haley Butler and Tanu Thomas, who were both seniors at the University of Texas when they started this project. Together, Haley and Tanu strive to piece together this tragic story in an in-depth podcast that features audio from courtroom scenes and interrogation rooms, prison phone calls, and exclusive interviews with both the perpetrators and the victim's family. 
You can binge all seven episodes of The Orange Tree today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Row Body program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roco slash msheet. That's roco slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now back to the murder sheet. Around five in the morning, Burzette Maynard and Davis drove their automobile to an auto hospital garage run by a man named Mandel. They forced the employee on duty there, a man named Malcolm McLeod, to change a tire. As the bootleggers rambled off, Maynard let loose a comment about grabbing breakfast at the car barn. Maybe they didn't realize that McLeod's father was a veteran police officer. Either way, the auto worker called Sioux City Police Captain John Shannon. The tip seemed to electrify the agency that morning. This was their big chance to bust the Burzette gang, before the state authorities could come in and cover themselves in glory. So Shannon sent patrolman James Haggerty to pick up Britton and his partner Maurice Farley at their homes. Together, the four officers sped off to the car barn to intercept the gang before they could hop town. Now, let's duck back into the car barn. Red Brzezette and his gang weren't the only people in there that quiet morning. There was counterman Christopher Brown and a cluster of linemen. If they didn't feel any dread eyeing the three strangers at the counter, they must have at least tensed up seeing Britain charge through the door. Upon entering the establishment, Britain did the thing that so many around Sioux City had been afraid to do for such a long time. He ordered one of the fastest shots around to surrender without a fight. Burzette wasn't about to raise his hands, though. Instead, 
he got up and opened fire at Britain. Davis followed suit. Brown and the linemen hit the floor as the air around them exploded. Britain fired back at the bandits and didn't stop there. He kept moving toward Burzette. Soon, the detective and the bandit were five feet away from each other, still shooting. It's hard to imagine what either one of them was thinking and feeling at that moment. Surprise? Fear? Or were they just intent on taking the other down at any cost? Farley raced inside next, exchanging shots with Maynard. He also shot Davis. All in all, the shooting was over in about 10 seconds. 17 shots in total had been fired. Burzette stopped shooting and slumped against the counter. One of the most feared guns in Sioux City was dead. And Britain wasn't unscathed either. He'd been shot and gravely wounded. Farley ended up with a graze wound to his head. Burzette's companions lay injured in the restaurant. With his leader dead on the floor before him, Maynard dared the officers to get it over with and shoot him in the head. Davis asked Farley why he'd shot him. Farley and Shannon helped Britton, bleeding from a gut wound, into the police car. The injured detective was taken to St. Vincent's Hospital, where doctors performed an emergency surgery on him. But Britton died in the hospital that afternoon. His death was a shock for Sioux City. Sure, crime had been on the rise, and the bootlegging had been a facet of the community. But the death of a police officer was still surprising. Britain's colleagues on the force also took the loss hard. One of the side stories I found out about this where, uh, was uh, his fellow officer, Al White, had actually heard of Britain's death and was so overcome with grief, he actually went up to St. Vincent's, where the two wounded outlaws uh, were still being held. And he had this, apparently he had this plan that he was going to go in there and uh, take his revenge on the two outlaws, but he was stopped by the Sioux City Police Force, um, his fellow officers. But of course, Britain's friends and family members weren't the only ones experiencing a loss. The car barn incident left May Brissette widowed. We know she took her husband's body home to his parents in Clear Lake, Iowa. But the shooting also left many unanswered questions. Reports indicate that Maynard and Davis had a combined total of $2,400 on their person at the car barn. Burzette had a handful of dollars. His widow claimed that he'd have likely had more money than that with him, although certainly less than $1,000. May Burzette sued Sioux City Police to get back the allegedly missing money, but to no avail. We wonder about what her perspective on the shooting would have been whether she felt Burzette had been treated fairly by police and the media. As for Burzette's accomplices, investigators determined that it was a bullet fired by Davis, not Burzette, that had actually killed Britain. Davis received a life sentence, although he ended up escaping from prison in 1922. He was later recaptured in Vancouver. Years later, Davis received a pardon and went back to Sioux City. Maynard served 10 years at Fort Madison for attempted murder. True to his bootlegging roots, he later returned to Sioux City to work at a speakeasy. The car barn went out of business, partly from the deadly reputation and partly because Sioux City streetcar operations moved locations. John J. McCoy operated a drugstore lab at the site for some years 
And it also went through phases as a bakery, grocery store, and carpentry shop before shuttering in the 1940s. So what can we take away from this long-ago mayhem? Well, it's obvious enough to say that nowadays, the actions of Britain and his colleagues that day would probably come under scrutiny, to say the least. Were the gang members, halfway into breakfast at the car barn, really enough of a threat at that moment to justify charging in? What of the safety of the other patrons, who ended up hiding under tables to escape the hail of bullets? Why couldn't the officers have surrounded the place and grabbed Burzette as he came out? We wonder if Britain's zeal was fueled by the fact that he'd been demoted for failing to keep gangsters like Burzette in check. Or were raids like this, guns blazing in a public eatery, just standard procedure for law enforcement back then? That powers that be within the Sioux City Police at the time seemed to be gunning for Burzette to ensure that he'd be kept out of the hands of state prosecutors. To a certain degree, these forces, along with Brissette's tendency to want to shoot his way out of trouble, coalesced with tragic results that day. Two men were killed, a city was shaken, and a young family was left without a father. Still, Britain's legacy continues to live on, in a sense. In a statement sent from the Sioux City Police Department, Crime Prevention Officer Andrew Dutler said that Britain's passing is still honored on the Public Safety Memorial near City Hall, the National Law Enforcement Memorial in Washington, D.C., and that the agency's police training center range is named in his honor. Britain was survived by his wife, Maude, and his daughter, Maxine. Sioux City showed up in force for them in the aftermath of the shooting. I, I, I do think they garnered uh, quite a bit of public respect, um, simply because you can kind of see, I don't know if there's evidence, but I would see where people would kind of see uh, policemen as just as as citizens, just like anybody else. Um, after Detective Britton was shot, uh, uh, everyone all around the city uh, gathered together at the First Baptist Church for his funeral, and some of them even waited outside. There was enough room physically in the church for everybody who wanted to attend his funeral. Um, so they just made a big line of procession out to uh, Grayson Cemetery. Um, the city came together and within a few days raised about $10,000 to provide for Britain's widow and his young daughter. Um, and so that kind of community response, especially to Britain's murder, shows that um, you know the Sioux City people weren't dismissive of the police. They did uh, recognize um, their importance and why they were there, especially as crime started getting more violent into the 20s with uh, federal prohibition. Haley sent us a copy of an old photo of Britain with Maxine. He had sleepy eyes, ears that stuck out, and a light-colored hat with a big, dark band. When the picture was taken, Maxine was just a tiny baby with dark hair and a button nose. Maxine ended up marrying a man named Howard W. Cornelia. She stayed in town and named her oldest son to honor the father she lost so early in life. Maud would pursue a path not unlike that of her late husband, working as a house detective at Davidson's department store. She also remarried twice. We can't know this for certain, but she must have been partly inspired by Britain. We wonder when the last time she saw him was. 
did she get a chance to bid him goodbye before he raced off toward his fate on that summer morning about a hundred years ago? John I. Rice, a business professor in Sioux City, wrote a letter to Maud after the shooting, commending her husband. He wrote, In sublime devotion to duty, he died a soldier of the peace, a sacrifice as glorious as any ever made upon the field of battle. We wonder if she took much solace in that. We'd like to thank Haley for all her insight and research help. She not only pulled together facts to shine a light on Sioux City in 1919, but she also provided us with relevant articles and documents on the case. Archives manager Tom Munson also has a great primer on the history of the city, which you can listen to on YouTube. We've included that link in our show notes. If you want to hear more about Sioux City's fascinating history, check out the Sioux City Public Museum. It's an amazing resource. We extensively used reporting from the Sioux City Journal in this episode, uncovered with Haley's help and through newspapers.com. There are a ton of great articles on the shootout, as well as the simmering tensions in the Sioux City Police Department in the years prior. The -the over-the-top article blaming May Burzette for her husband's actions came from the Des Moines Gazette. We were inspired to look into the car barn case by a retrospective article in the Sioux City Sunday Journal. It was written in 1939 by Emmett Curry. It was a very colorful, off-the-rails article that almost made the whole incident sound like something out of an old-time Western story. Another particularly helpful article was the 1942 retrospective from Neil Miller, a prolific pulp magazine writer. His Sioux City Journal article is written from the perspective of the car barn itself. It's as weird as it sounds, and also oddly poignant. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure and send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.